But really what I think Added Electronics brings to the table is more along the lines of what Bird had mentioned earlier, the materials compatibility. It's not just a, a matter of making things cheaper or faster or making them large area or making them potentially greener. It's actually adding new functionalities to electronics and changing how we think about electronics. From electronics being a board in a box that's inside of your phone to electronics being ubiquitous in the world, embedded into the world around us. For example, in the structure of the buildings that, that you occupy or into the clothing that you wear. Hello and welcome to another episode of Making It in Ontario, the official podcast of the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing. I'm your host, Nick Persichilli, and in this episode, I chat about the next generation of additive manufacturing techniques with Gerd Grau and Matt Iwertowski. Gerd is a professor of electrical engineering at York University, and Matt is a product manager at a company called Volterra. The two have been collaborating together for the past four years and have found new and innovative uses for additive manufacturing. I first met Gerd virtually after watching his presentation at Mohawk College's 3D in Action conference in the spring of this year. His presentation caught my eye because he was talking about doing things with 3D printing that I hadn't really heard of before, the 3D printing of electronics. After inviting him, I asked if there was anyone in the industry that we could also speak with, and he recommended Matt. So what, were 3D printing circuit boards now? Well, the short answer is yes. See, historically... Volterra made circuit board printers for manufacturers to allow them to make the boards in-house rather than having to send them off-site. However, after working with GERD, Matt and Volterra have taken this technology to the next level. It's one thing to print a circuit board. It's another thing entirely to additively manufacture an entire component with sensors and circuitry already built in. Now, without getting too technical, Gerd's presentation at 3D in Action focused on laser-induced graphene, which basically means hitting a polymer with a laser and turning it into electrically conductive graphene. You can print it to any shape you want. Now, that laser-induced graphene was a very specific example that Gerd is working on. However, other materials can be used. That means bumpers can now be printed to include all the needed airbag sensors. That means we can now print prosthetic limbs with electrodes built right into the material. It means smart textiles. And it also means innovations that we can't even think of now. See, partway through the episode, I came to understand that the use cases for this technology, or rather this new manufacturing technique, have yet to be written. And they will likely be written by different people in different industries. If you want to make clothes that can monitor your vital signs, you'll need to work with a textile expert and a biometrology expert. If you want to make a bumper with all the sensors integrated into it, you'll need to speak with an automotive engineer and a materials engineer. If you want to make lighter weight rocket components, you'll need to speak to a rocket scientist and a specialist in whatever material that component could be made from. Now, I'm obviously skipping a lot of what we discussed, so if you're interested in additive manufacturing and what the future of the technology will bring, have a listen for yourself to see how 3D printing of electronics will enable us to keep on making it in Ontario. Hello everyone. I am now with I'm with two friends, one new and one somewhat old, Gerd. Since because since you are the uh, the senior friend of the show, why don't we uh, start with you? Why don't you introduce yourself, please? Yes, hello everybody. My name is Gerd Rao. I'm a professor of electrical engineering at York University. And so my lab works on printed electronics, so microfabrication, devices, new materials and how to integrate that with other forms of additive manufacturing. Now, you and I first met per somewhat peripherally back in, um, God, I guess it was the spring now, 
Um, yeah, yeah. At, March, April. Yeah, it was with uh, 3D in Action from uh, Mohawk College. And I thought your presentation was, well, I didn't get to see it live, unfortunately, but I saw it afterwards and I thought, wow, this is very compelling. Would you want to give us a quick elevator pitch reminder or a review of what you were talking about during that presentation? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So that presentation was um, focused on one part of what my lab does. My lab works on a couple of different forms of out of manufacturing, of electronics manufacturing. This one was focused on laser-induced graphene, which is a way to turn a polymer into graphene in a very, very simple manner. Basically, you start with a polymer, and when I say polymer, that can be a lot of different things. That could be a flexible plastic substrate, you know, think something that you could wear, for example, that will conform to your body, or it could be something like a 3D printed polymer. And that's what we focused here in this, uh, this talk especially. So imagine you 3D print whatever object you want to print. Let's say it's a prosthetic. Let's say it's a robotic hand, whatever part it is. And now you want to have some intelligence in there. You want to have some electronics in there. There's a lot of different ways you can do that. And, and we're working on multiple ways. But this one is particularly simple because all you need is a laser and it's, it's not a very complicated laser, not a very expensive laser. You expose that polymer to that laser, you scan that laser, and you turn this polymer into graphene. And now this graphene is conductive. It has a large specific surface area, which means it's good, for example, for energy storage, for certain types of sensors. So there's a lot of things you can do with that. So that's sort of the essence of what I talked about. And then when I asked if you wanted to come on the podcast... And you said yes. And I also said, if you could think of someone interesting who could speak about this in the industry, you very quickly recommended your friend, Matthew. Matthew, would you please introduce yourself? Hey, thanks, Nick. And thanks, Gerd, for uh, suggesting that Nick brings me on. It's, uh, it's always great talking to you, and I'm sure this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, my name is Matt Nevertowski. I'm a product manager at a company called Volterra, based in Kitchener in Canada. And we make tools for engineers and scientists that help them get from concept to product or proof of concept as quickly as possible. It's building enabling tools that help you push the boundaries of what's possible and do it hopefully all at your benchtop instead of having to outsource and, and rely on tooling as much as possible. So let's talk a little bit about Volterra real quick. According to my research, some of your customers include MIT, NASA, is that correct? Yeah, we have, uh, we're very lucky to work with a lot of very exciting groups out there, uh, companies that are really pushing the boundaries of what you can do with electronics. And that also includes Gerd's group, which is how we, we got in touch about four, it has to be four years ago now, I think, Gerd. It's been quite a while that we've been working together. Yeah, at least four years, I think. At least four yeah. years, yeah. Because Gerd's group, as he was uh, introducing with the, the laser-induced graphene talk, they do a lot of very interesting work within electronics and additive electronics and finding new ways to make sensors and, and new types of devices. And that really is where we thrive. So we love working with these types of companies and, and research groups that are trying to find new ways to, to push the boundaries of electronics. But uh, interestingly enough, that's not actually where we kind of started in a sense with our first product, which GERD had been a customer for. And he's now a beta customer for our upcoming product, but I'll talk maybe a bit about that a little bit later. But we actually started in more of the traditional electronics manufacturing space. We were making a desktop printer for circuit boards, for printed circuit boards, trying to get it, trying to get circuit boards made at your desk so you didn't have to outsource from overseas. 
but uh, since then, because we we happened to get that into enough labs and people started using it for you know flexible electronics, soft electronics, stretchable, uh, additive electronics altogether, we've really found a new a whole new world that we're exploring now with our new technologies. So I'm going to try to not have the music from Aladdin's A Whole New World stuck in my head for the rest of the podcast now. <laughs> but um, so this is fascinating stuff because I mean. Gerd, when you and I first met, and in the in the context of 3D in action, when people think additive manufacturing, I mean, yes, it's it's slowly started to permeate into manufacturing floors, and most of the time, people are marveling at additive manufacturing's ability to create these really cool, complex physical structures. But what you guys are talking about is basically printing, and again, pardon me if I get this wrong, but you're talking about printing 3D printing electronic circuit boards and other, and I guess in, in more detail, I guess in finer detail than that. Is that is that right? Yes, yes, essentially. And really, I mean, there's a lot of different methods with which you can create electronics, right? And I would even say, I would not even use the word 3D printing so much because electronics really is 2D in, in most Traditional electronics, let's put it that way, um, because maybe we, we can push it further. But traditional electronics, if you think of traditional electronics, whether that's your PCB, right, or whether that's your CPU that sits in your computer, or the screen that you use right now to watch this, right, all this is basically 2D electronics, because circuits, they're two-dimensional, you can have lines crossing over each other, sort of like two and a half D maybe, but it's really 2D, so that's that's where electronics manufacturing comes from. And then you have 3D printing, which is fundamentally 3D, right? You want to create mechanical objects, structural objects that have, they need a 3D shape, right? They need to, whether you think of whatever it might be. And now we're sort of trying to marry the two. That, that's really what I'm interested in. So the, the, the other aspect to additive manufacturing, one part is 3D, the other part is the additive part. So... The way people use the word out of manufacturing is really they use it synonymously with 3D printing. That, that's sort of the convention that people use. But actually, especially when I first got in this space, I was kind of struggling with that convention because out of manufacturing, really what it says is you manufacture something, that's the manufacturing part. And additive means you add material where you want it. And that's in contrast to traditional methods. You start with a block of metal, you mill it away, that's subtractive. Or in electronics manufacturing, you use something like an etching process. That's also subtractive. So you basically subtract the way you part on your, your material, you deposit everywhere, you part on it using something like photolithography, and then you etch away the material you don't want. So if we print this, it's also additive. It's not 3D printing necessarily, but it's additive manufacturing. So that's sort of the space that we're sitting in. And really the other interesting question there that contrasts electronics from 3D printing is the materials. That's really where the big difference is, the materials and the feature sizes. Because in 3D printing, what you need is you need stiffness, for example, tensile strength, those kind of things. But in electronics, what you need is you know, conductivity, for example. You need semiconductors that have a good mobility, for example, crystal structure. Those kind of properties in electronics are very, very important. And typically, we try to make very thin films, very well patterned, especially for something like a sensor, transistor, you need to go down to the micron scale in terms of feature size. And that's very different from, from 3D printing, where you actually want thicker layers. You don't want very small features so that 
you can build up a, a large object fairly quickly. And so it's really a continuum going from 3D printing, which makes centimeter scale objects with hundreds of microns res resolution, right? Going all the way to what's in your CPU, which is nanometer scale, right? And we work basically on the things that are in between, which includes, you know, laser-induced graphene. We work on inkjet printing. We work on extrusion printing, which is the the tool that we work on with uh, Matt or, or Matt's tool, right? Well, Terra's tool is essentially an extrusion printing, which can give you electrical properties, electrical materials with a resolution that's better than 3D printing. It's really 2D printing, but maybe we can do it on 3D structures and so on. So, what technology or process? is what you guys have just described looking to replace or to augment? When, when we're talking about additive manufacturing for electronics, traditionally, when Gerd said before traditional electronics, that's all the subtractive, like you're doing things with copper and you're etching it away. When you get to the additive realm, then you're building things up. And there are some benefits there that are just kind of inherent to additive manufacturing, the same types of benefits that, for example, 3D printing brings to plastics instead of injection molding. You know, it's just faster. It can be done for better customization really quickly without having to pay thousands and thousands of dollars for tooling. And that's kind of what people have been focusing on for a long time in terms of the benefits of additive electronics. But really what I think additive electronics brings to the table is more along the lines of what Gerd had mentioned earlier, the materials compatibility. It's not just a, it's not just a, a matter of making things cheaper or faster or making them large area or making them potentially greener. It's actually adding new functionalities to electronics and changing how we think about electronics from electronics being a board in a box that's inside of your phone to electronics being ubiquitous in the world, embedded into the world around us. For example, in the structure of the buildings that, that you occupy or into the clothing that you wear or even on your skin. Like these are new opportunities that additive electronics brings because of the materials that you can use. It's not just locked into, for example, copper that you would use for circuit boards. You can print carbon, you can print semiconducting materials, you can print conductors, you can print all kinds of different things. So material resistive materials for heaters. And because of that, because of the, the fact that you can print those new types of materials in, in specific different form factors, you can also print them on different types of materials, right? So if I want to print on a thermoplastic like stretchable elastomer, something that like is kind of like a rubber material, I can do that. And all of a sudden you have now an electronic device that has the mechanical properties of skin. This is something that you could never do before with traditional electronics. And really additive is opening up a whole new world of what you can do. It's not just a matter of doing things that we've already done better or faster. It's, it's really rethinking what electronics are and what place they can play in, in products and just in the world around us too. Yeah, I totally agree. That, that was a very good answer. Um, I can just add a couple of things, but, um, but yeah, in terms of what this can replace, I mean, Matt sort of alluded to basically traditional PCB making. The other you know, traditional technology that, that people are looking at as a comparison is basically display technology, right? Because that's a photolithography on glass, it's large area, and the feature sizes are somewhere in the micron range, which is something that printing now, some printing can reach. But I really agree with Matt that it's not so much about what you can replace in terms of cost, in terms of slight improvements in manufacturing or something, right? Because it's very, very difficult to compete with that. And 
I remember that basically in the beginning of printed electronics or when people talked about printed electronics 10 years ago or so, like a lot of times what people would say is printed electronics is for low cost, you know, large volume manufacturing, doing these sensor tags, uh, you know, millions of them and just doing it based on cost, right? Competing with silicon technology. Because also there's, so there's the, the PCB, there's a display technology and then there's silicon, actual silicon chips, right? And people talked about replacing those in RFID tags, for example, uh, using printed technology. But really the challenge there is if you're only trying to compete on cost as a new technology, it's very, very challenging. So what makes a lot more sense is to do things that are just not possible with traditional technology. That's where you can really add value. Like for example, in Volterra's case, doing the, the prototyping in-house same day not sending out your design and, and getting the PCB back at some point, right? Like that's something that otherwise wasn't possible before or not as easily. I mean, you could do it in-house, I guess, in your own, you can make your own PCB, right? But but this is sort of a, the technology that wasn't possible before or the integration with 3D. You know, let's say you have a 3D printed prosthetic, you want to have sensing in there, you want to have actuation in there. Um, right now, your choice is Either you don't have any of that, that's the most common choice, or you could manually attach some kind of sensor, some kind of motor, and then wire it up somehow manually. And that's very labor intensive, very clunky. You don't get the resolution potentially. You don't get the number of sensors. Customization is difficult or has to be done manually. So all of that, if you can 3D print basically the prosthetic and then 2D, 3D, 2.5D print the electronics, right? then you can actually create a completely new product that just wasn't possible before. And the strengths of additive are really, as Matt said, materials. It's a much wider range of materials we can look at now. It's the 3D aspect. You can do 3D object potentially. And also the customization, which is the same story as you know 3D printing additive manufacturing, right? Whether that's for prototyping or whether that's for, for example, personalized healthcare, those kind of applications. Those are some of the strengths of additive manufacturing of electronics. Well, I was just going to add on to that, the, like what Gerd said before about in, for, with the example of the prosthetic. It's very interesting because uh, in the past, you've kind of had to think about electronics and the mechanical aspects as two separate kind of spheres. And then you find a connection point between them in some way. But the promise of additive electronics, especially, for example, in-mold electronics is one type of additive electronics in which you will print electronics onto a plastic and then you would heat that and vacuum form it. And then you would put the plastic around that part. And now it's all just one part. The mechanical and the electrical is served by the same component. So additive allows you to think about those things in a fundamentally new way. So it's not just, okay, how do we connect our circuit board or our flexible board to the mechanical aspects. Now, now it can all be integrated into one type of device. I'm starting to realize that the question of what technology is this going to replace, the answer is there is no answer yet because we don't know. Mm -hmm. there's, lots of, there's lots of opportunities out there. And uh, the interesting thing is that printed electronics in some sense has been around for a long time, right? Like Gerd was saying 10 years ago and things like the the classic example of the membrane switch, like this, the computer keyboard, silver printed, that is actually an additive thing. And uh, I mean, most laptops have that component in them, but historically it hasn't been, you know, that's just been kind of niche cases. And now because of the materials innovations and because of everything that's kind of coming together in the manufacturing ecosystem for additive electronics, we're really starting to realize that 
let's say wearables, for example, wearables don't have to be a watch. They could be something that goes directly into your clothing or onto your skin. It's just an entirely new type of uh, monitoring or sensing device for healthcare, right? Or for athletics. So absolutely, uh, it, there, there's lots of new opportunities and it really unlocks kind of your creativity as a researcher. So much of what GERD's group is doing uh, is is not it's novel. I mean, it's very inter interesting and exciting because these technologies enable you to do completely new things. So I was scouring the internet and it took me to the depths of the front page of your website, Matt. And I found a very interesting quote that I couldn't have planned this conversation better for the quote that I'm about to read from your website. Quote, if we make the manufacturing industry accessible to more people and better equip everyone within it, we can only expect that the variety and quality of products created will increase exponentially. Oh, that's, that's a perfect choice. Right? Yeah. It just, so I, I read that and I was, I was going to bring it up. And now I have, but it's like, wow, this is exactly what that quote is talking about. Let's talk a little bit about the actual practical applications that are happening today. What can you tell me about the work that Volterra is doing right now? Sure. So at Volterra, as I mentioned before, we create products that help researchers and engineers get, you know, develop new products. And we do that by leveraging additive electronics. So we came from a background of traditional electronics as electromechanical engineers who are just kind of looking for a way to make circuit boards more accessible to get them made much faster. And we discovered printed electronics uh, in a way, as, as so many people do for a technology that's been around for a while, everybody kind of comes around to it their own way. And we found that these conductive ink materials, if they were handled and printed in the right way, could be used to essentially become a prototype for the traditional electronics that you'd be making when you fab out your board. So from that, we found we built a printer, the Volterra V1, uh, that launched in 2015. And since then, it's been it's gone on all over the world. We have many exciting and, and very uh, interesting applications of the technology from just the base purpose, which was to make you, to, to help you get a prototype faster. Like really that's, that's what it was intended to do. It was to get a circuit board on your desk in 30 minutes or, or an hour. However, many of our customers, GERD included, they saw a little bit beyond that. They thought, well, you have this printing technology that can create conductive patterns and GERD has already been in, you know, printed electronics for a while at this point and realize that you could put in different materials, you could print on different materials and really start to create new potential products or new, new types of technologies. Like the one example being the uh, printed sensor on, on UAV wings, the, the one paper that Mohammed put out, which was very interesting. And since then, since about 2017 or so, 2018, we've started really diving into this new generation of, of electronics. So go, go ahead. Sorry, just to clarify, you said UAV. Is that like in the traditional un un unmanned aerial vehicle? vehicle? Yeah. Yes. So just I just wanted to make sure that for people. So when you said UAV, it was that. Yeah, the drone. Yeah. The drone. So, yeah. Yeah. So sorry, I just wanted to make sure that everyone was on the same page, Matt. Please continue. Uh, yeah. So uh, that's just pointing at the the types of applications that researchers were using this for, with also with microfluidics. And then since then, we've really doubled down on this next generation of electronics. So we have a new product coming out in Q4 of this year, which is really focused on building those stretchable, wearable, flexible types of electronics that can go anywhere. So we see a lot of interest in, as I've mentioned a couple times already, wearable devices. So if you can take 
uh, a sensor and make it stretchable, then this is something that, for example, in patient recovery, you could just have it as a non-invasive sensor that conforms to your body instead of robotics and electronics of today is not very organic in a sense, right? It's hard, it's rigid, it's it's not, doesn't interface with your body in a way that makes sense. But with these new electronics, you can create those, uh, those types of devices. There's also a lot of new materials innovation that's coming out as a consequence of making these technologies more accessible. One thing from that quote, Nick, that you brought up that, I mean, don't, don't give me a soapbox here because I'll just talk for an hour, but this is really what, what at Volterra we're trying to do. We're trying to make printed electronics or additive electronics into a tool in the toolbox of any engineer. So it's not just like uh, this, this research opportunity for, for, you know, you have to spend five years to learn about it before you can generate something. We're really trying to bring it down to the level that anybody who has the interest will be able to take one of our tools to take a conductive ink, to take a substrate, and to create an electronic device really quickly and easily. And I, honestly, I think that that's the place where these technologies have the most opportunity for advancement in a sense. But a lot of the technology that's already been out there just hasn't been made accessible yet. And that's really what we're trying to do with our tools is the accessibility angle. If, you have, if you've never worked with printed electronics, you might not know that you need to thermally process a conductive ink. We want to make it so accessible that everybody would be able to at least get to that point that they can create an additive electronic device. And we hope that by making these tools, making them accessible, having the UX be completely you know, as hands-off as, as possible, we can make it so that uh, this industry as a whole becomes more accessible. So that R&D engineer that's working at, uh, at an Ontario OEM or, or an SME, they could be thinking about printed electronics as a real productization opportunity. And we, I think that we're just on the cusp of that. I think that this is really in the past couple of years and the next few years is where we're gonna to start to see printed electronics, additive electronics, getting incorporated into products in the same way that flexible circuits have in, in the electronics we already use today. But I think that now we're kind of at the point that additive is really at that stage. So Matt, you were talking now about we need more accessibility, more accessibility. And I, I completely agree. Tell me about some of the barriers to accessibility that you guys have seen. I mean, I have my ideas, but what are some of the barriers you guys have come up against? I mean, first of all, I have to say that the Volterra products are quite quite accessible, you know, for a printed electronics printer. Um, you know, I know Volterra puts a lot of work into that. But yeah, to talk sort of more broadly about the um, challenges for newcomers, I mean, it's a very multidisciplinary field that is one big, uh, big challenge because what you have is really electrical engineering, right? You create circuits, you create devices, but also you have um, fluid mechanics. So printing means you take a fluid, it can be a paste. And in the case of the Volterra, it's like a screen printing ink. So it's a very high viscosity paste, you know, think honey, for example. But in the case of inkjet printing, for example, it's much closer to water. It's a little higher than water, but it's much closer to water. So these inks, they flow on the substrate. Once you've printed them, you don't necessarily get what you want unless you put a lot of work into it, which, well, Volterra is doing some of that for you. But in research, when you want to print something new, you have to figure that out. You like If you print an ink that's already optimized by someone else, then potentially you can plug and play. But if you want to print something new and material that no one's printed before, you have to figure out the fluid mechanical properties of it, right? So there's a fluid mechanics component. There's a chemistry component because these inks 
typically are some sort of material, whether it's nanoparticles or polymer, some other organic, some salt is dissolved in some solvent, some organic solvent, aqueous solvent, whatever it might be. So you need to understand the chemistry of all that. You need to understand some mechanical engineering potentially. If you have a flexible circuit that you want to bend, and now you need to understand what is the strain, is it going to rip apart my electronics? So printed electronics really borders on all, all these different disciplines. And, and that is one of the big challenges. And so that's, I see that, you know, when I first started in printed electronics, but also my students now, you know, you come from a certain background, you have an undergrad degree in electrical engineering, right? But you probably have no idea about chemistry and fluid mechanics, or you come from mechanical engineering, then you might not know anything about how a semiconductor works. So that is probably one of the big challenges in terms of accessibility, but that's especially when you want to sort of push the boundaries of what's possible with the materials. And, but, and, and that's sort of where Volterra comes in, right? It's creating a tool with a defined set of materials where let's say you want to be creative in terms of the product that you create, right? You have an idea, you want to create this flexible, whatever sensor you stick it to your body, right? And you are a circuit designer who just wants to design the circuit, then what you need is someone else to have done that work, right? To have figured out what the materials are, what kind of substrate you can put it on, the, as Matt said, the heat treatment. People spend their entire PhD studying the heat treatment of, of these inks. All that is sort of being done in research and kind of permeates through now. And, and it's important then to make that accessible to people and communicate that, right? And essentially where you want to be at the end of the day is you want to have sort of a design framework for designers who can basically say, you know, like in the silicon industry, you have design rules, right? You create your mask for your chip. And you know, okay, I can do these kind of shapes. I can put them with this spacing. This is the electrical performance I get. I can simulate it. That's sort of where we want to go with printed electronics so that people can do it without diving fully into that material science and, and fluid mechanics and all that. So that, that I would say is a major challenge. Uh, absolutely, Gerd. That is like you have the, you have the Gerd grouse and, and your groups of the world doing like really pushing the boundaries of what's possible with printed electronics and then at, to, at some point to make those uh, into products you need to transition to, to meet in the middle and to try and kind of abstract away the things that the designer doesn't need to worry about so that they can just worry about the things that they're actually you know doing like an electrical engineer like Gerd pointed out if I go to an electrical engineer and I'm like okay what viscosity range do you need for your ink the first thing they're going to say to me is basically, why are you talking to me about this? <laughs> like, I've never dealt with, like, I, you just don't think about those things as an electrical engineer. And for, for us, I came from a nanotechnology background, and then I had to learn the electromechanical side of things. And there's always a whole new field to learn. So what we try to do is we try to make it as black box as possible so that the end use engineer, they just focus on what they want to do. So one of the new features that I'm really excited about with the new product that the GERDS group is testing is actually a calibration, like a semi-automated calibration routine. So if you put in a conductive ink or an other material that you've never worked with before, it'll use kind of smarts and a camera to figure out how to print that well. And of course, like in some cases, you need to really go beyond that boundary. Like the GERDS group is always doing cool new stuff. But really what that does is that you can get an ink from, from a manufacturer. You don't need to know anything about the viscosity, for example, and then you can print the design that you as an electrical engineer 
have put down and laid out and you're in the tools you're already familiar with. So kind of trying to bridge that gap as much as possible, package it in a way that it becomes accessible. And of course, there's still, you know, there's, there's always room to grow. There's always new opportunities to do this better. But really, it's as Gerd described, it's such a multidisciplinary field that until that kind of happens, until you kind of get to that point, a lot of it is going to be people feeling like they're a little bit in the Wild West. So we need to kind of bring that together, simplify, standardize. And then, you know, as new technologies and new opportunities come from the research end of things, they can get made accessible to the engineering and the product development side. And we're starting to see that. And I think over the next couple of years, it's going to just get even better and it's going to keep accelerating. I'm thinking spacesuits, or the biological <laughs> yeah. telemetry that the you know that that astronauts are always communicating back and forth. I mean, when I look at movies like Apollo 13, you know, and they get all frustrated with all of the sensors and they rip them off, those couldn't have been very comfortable. I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. So if you have that just kind of built into the outfit you're wearing, and in order to do that, you'd need to speak with a, someone with a, a heavy biological background, an aerospace engineer probably. Um, a tailor mm-hmm. so yeah just just to make that happen you have to talk to the reason i'm saying this mm-hmm. is because you actually just kind of opened my eyes so when i'm at when i ask like what's the what are the challenges with accessibility it's like well nobody knows what to do with this new tech yet is that fair it's like you can you can oftentimes think of possibilities but then the practical implementation of them usually means you've got to get out of your comfort zone if i'm an electronics engineer and you say Look, what if you could put electronic devices in in anything, in a structure? You'd probably be able to think, well, that would be really exciting. But now you get the ink and it's like, okay, how do I print this? And that's usually the first step that a lot of people stumble at. We try and make that part a lot easier with our tools. We print screen printable inks and we kind of handle a lot of the printing complexity. And we try and educate also on the property side of things as much as possible. Uh, Another kind of example of this uh, with what I mentioned before with like in-mold electronics, that has a lot of interesting applications in uh, automotive and aerospace, where if you can just make a a component that is electronically functional and also mechanically robust and, and 3D and everything, that'll just reduce a lot of weight and add new capabilities. Probably if you talk to somebody in automotive, they may have already heard of this from the angle of in-mold design or in-mold decoration, IMD, but IME is kind of a next level of that. And uh, yeah, you kind of have to bring together people in these R&D groups, like somebody with a materials background, somebody with an electronics background, mechanical engineer. Um, At Volterra, that's kind of what we've done as well. But our hope is that at some point in the future, you won't need to build up that entire R&D team for you to be able to create that device. Hopefully, at least to just make that that product or that device, you only need to use a couple tools with the know-how that come with them, and then you can get that done. So what's next? Matt, what's next for Volterra? Gerd, what's next for you? Um, what's next? What's next for Volterra? As I mentioned, we have this new product that's coming out in Q4 of this year. Uh, we're going to have public announcements uh, coming up pretty soon. And we are really excited to introduce printed electronics to engineers, to product developers, to give them a tool that they can think of making a stretchable, soft, or flexible device on their desk in um, in an hour you know, with, a, with the guidance that we provide instead of having to go and get a PhD before you can start even working with this technology. So with that new product coming out, there's going to be a lot on our end in terms of producing content to help educate and to bring people along to this new technology. At, at Volterra, 
we're all about enabling technology and that means the hardware but it also means you know excellent usability for the software and it also means content and educational pieces so that we can help bring other people into this uh, exciting area as much as possible so with that new product I'm, I'm very excited to see where that's going to go I think we're already seeing some commercialization opportunities that have been coming out over the past few years. I can only imagine that that's going to accelerate at an unprecedented pace, really, as these tools and materials become more available. I would say that there's sort of two things. I mean, one is what we just talked about, sort of advancing applications and working with people um, in the application space, right, who can use our, our technology. So that's something we're, we're always doing and, and we'll, we'll increase as well. But the other thing really is pushing the technology, right? Like really the core of what we're doing, what my lab does, right? Part of it is, you know, the applications is, is very necessary, right? And you need to push it out and you need to demonstrate uh, why this matters. But really the core of what we're doing is pushing the technology, right? And so really what we're interested in is increasing the complexity of the devices we make going to more complex devices from, um, you know, um, we've done we've done so so in the last couple of years we've done a lot of work sort of on the materials on the printing integrating that with 3d printing integrating that with carbon fiber composites but really then um and then we've done some simple sensors but integrating more materials integrating semiconductors making things like the um, transistors amplifiers more complex sensors that's really where we keep pushing, pushing the boundary, basically. That, that's the core of what, what we're doing, right? And basically, for me in the university, right, my main mandate is to push the technology and the other part is training the students, right? So, so that's also a very important part. Uh, so we train PhD students, master's students, undergrads as well. So, so we often have undergrads, um, especially over the summer in my lab. And those students learn, learn the skills, right? They learn about these different fields, and then go out and, you know, hopefully apply them in industry or, or keep going in academia, right? So that's, that's the other um, core thing that I'm doing and, and keep doing, right? Um, and hopefully that will also contribute to the ecosystem. That all sounds incredible. And I guess it's up to the ecosystem now to figure out what to do with this amazing new tool. So Matt, Gerd, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time to chat with me today. This has been informative. This has been enlightening. And uh, pretty damn cool, if I, if I do say so. So thanks to both of you for chatting with me today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thanks, Nick. And thanks, Gerd, for, uh, for getting me on here, too. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, this was great.